Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon, episode 43, Empress Josephine, wife and true love of Napoleon. We have a very special episode. This is our first, I should say, non-general, non-Napoleon, non-king, although she was a very interesting lady. We're going to focus on Empress Josephine with a good friend, Rachel Stark. Rachel, say hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> She's back. If you don't remember, Rachel did a phenomenal episode. It's probably my, in terms of recording, the most fun I've had in recording an episode, and that was our Marshall's wrap-up episode. I believe it was episode 27. And Rachel knocked it out of the park on that one, so I thought about having her back for the Empress Josephine episode. So, Rachel, yeah, thanks for coming back. Um, if you want to follow Rachel on Twitter, it's bookish underscore Rachel, correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah, she has a really great Twitter page, lots of interesting content there. And you might have heard her on another podcast. She's just a very knowledgeable person, and we're, we're thrilled to have her back. So, Rachel, this Empress Josephine, I, I think she gets an unfair amount of criticism, but I, I'm at, I was actually very impressed with her just reading her biography. She seems like quite a lady. I really think she was, and I fully agree with you that she's somebody who comes in for probably, yeah, more criticism than is deserved. And I think realistically, a lot of that's got pretty misogynistic undertones in most cases. Mm. And also, I think because she's so reduced to almost caricature outside of the sort of Napoleonic corner of, of Twitter or social media that we tend to inhabit where people are very well up on the period generally. Mm -hmm. But in sort of mainstream popular culture, she is essentially reduced to her sex life. It's not tonight, Josephine. And right. she's portrayed as this sort of randy nymphomaniac. And there's so much more to her than the men she was with at any given time. And I think sometimes people forget that she wasn't just a, you know, a wife. Mm -hmm. She was a patron of the arts. She was fundamentally a survivor. Yeah. She was a very good people person in a way that Napoleon very often wasn't. Right. Um. So there's a, there's a lot more to her than than is often summarized in popular culture. Yeah, I think uh, another important aspect, and we'll get to it, you know, Napoleon was from Corsica, and forgive me if I have any Corsican listeners, which was kind of a backwater at the time, and he was, you know, whatever you want to call it, lower gentry or lower uh, middle class, so he didn't really know how to behave and act in these high-end social circles, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. He was he was almost infamous for his lack of social skills. Mm -hmm. He was one of those people whose, whose genius was undisputable in the areas that he specialized in. But, you know, even after Josephine had sort of taken him under her wing and improved him for want of a better expression, his conversation skills, he was, he was rude, he was abrasive. He didn't care a huge amount about his personal appearance at that time. His hair was long and lanky. His skin was quite sallow. He always looked very sulky. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he sort of wasn't used to elegant conversation in a salon. He wasn't used to talking somebody round to right. his point of view rather than just domineering and right. sort of demanding that people saw it from his point of view. Yeah. So I, I think sometimes it's very easy 
because Napoleon was so undeniably talented in so many areas, it's easy to forget that he owed a good deal of where he ended up to mm-hmm. Josephine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's kind of jump into Josephine's life and focus on her. She was born June 1763, but her birthplace is disputed and left us speculation, but somewhere in the West Indies. Some say Martinique, while others say it was St. Lucia. And her birth name was not Josephine, correct? No, she she was um, went by Rose for the, the majority of her early life, or Marie-Rose. Mm. Um, and in true Napoleonic style, um, her one of her middle names, um, of course, was was Josephine and um, or Joseph, and Napoleon decided that's what he wanted to call her. So although we <laughs> historically refer to her as Josephine de Beauharnais, right. technically speaking, Josephine de Beauharnais never existed because when she was the wife of Alexandre de Beauharnais, she went by Rose, yeah. and when she became under so or, or at least Josephine de Beauharnais existed for a very small period of time. Um, because she became Josephine Bonaparte. Yeah. What do we uh, What do we know about her early childhood? I know uh, her family was somewhat well off um, in Martinique. Uh, she was the oldest of three children. Was she well educated? She, she did go to um, at formal schooling for a time. She obviously had a, a comparably you would say privileged childhood compared to, to some of the other women in France because her, her family owned plantation and obviously that's a very topical issue as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Josephine's legacy and her association with the West Indies has been disputed very much recently. You know, statues of her have been you know, vandalised yep. or yep. defaced yep. as a result, which is, you know, understandable given that her, her family were effectively on plantation owners. But she's, again, it's one of those sort of interesting points of history where just one person's birth or death fundamentally shifts what's you know going forward because um she was never meant to be alexandra de borne's wife it was supposed to be her sister catherine right the, the middle sister because it was felt that josephine being of an age with a prescript prospective bridegroom mm-hmm. was you know she was a bit too old so ideally the middle sister a few years younger, that would be the most suitable age bracket. And so the work was in place um, between Josephine's father and, and her aunt to put the, the marriage contracts, etc., um, you know, down in paper. And her sister, Catherine, died. Mm-hmm. Her youngest sister was obviously too young mm-hmm. to, to be married off. And so Josephine, and sort of almost in a parallel of Marie Antoinette, sort of filled her sister's shoes. Right. Yeah, so following along the story, in 1779, she goes to France with her father and ends up marrying this guy. What can you tell us about this fellow? Why was he sought after? Was he, you know, aristocracy? I know he was in the military. What What, what can you tell us about Alexandre de Bourgogne? I mean, he was, he was ultimately um, reasonably well-connected, and that was something that wouldn't bode him very well in the, the revolution because it made his... his you know, motivation suspect, mm-hmm. but he was not in any way an ideal husband off the paper. Yes, he he had, you know, comparable wealth, right. he had comparable position, but it's not a happy marriage at all. Yeah, I, I read, you know, he visited brothels and he was pretty much left Josephine as soon as they got married, like to do his own thing. He wasn't around much. No, and 
ill-treated her, um, disputed Hortense's paternity, and, and then eventually they, they had a sort of formal separation mm-hmm. um, prior to the revolution. So she'd, she had a hard time of it, really, from the day she came to France. And again, you could argue, and, and some people inevitably do, that, okay, yes, she had it, she had it hard, but it was in a position of comparable privilege. So she was, you know, she, she wasn't particularly hard up. She had a roof over her head. There were people in France who didn't, you know, couldn't eat at the time. Right. But that doesn't take away from the fact she had a struggle and being a woman at the time, there was no refuge if your husband ill-treated you. Right. You couldn't leave. You Well, it was difficult to leave. She couldn't just go and get a job and support herself and her own her own children. So it was it was a difficult time for her. Yeah. And I think that instilled some sort of grit, some sort of determination to survive that you see throughout her the rest of her life yeah indeed and um yeah like you said earlier she's she's quite a survivor and the next few years she's going to put those skills to the max uh first she gets divorced as you mentioned she has two children famously eugene who would later be prince eugene and hortense but you know the french revolution happens and the reign of terror happens which adds additional stress what happens to alexander um he becomes uh a general, mm-hmm. but the Revolutionary War was a period in which it was incredibly difficult to be a gen a general mm-hmm. in in France because they had to walk this incredibly sort of treacherous knife edge of a line where if they were overzealous to the point of being deemed reckless, mm-hmm. they would wind up at the guillotine. If they were cautious to the point of being deemed unpatriotic or cowardly, they would wind up at the guillotine. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, linking to my other pet subject, it, it's a testament to the martial survival that they were able to come to the fore during that time. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a time that Alexandre de Bourne didn't manage to, to work his way through. And again, that aristocratic background, you know, relatively low though it was meant he was a suspect Mm -hmm. and he was imprisoned josephine was imprisoned as well actually Mm -hmm. um and he wound up going to the the guillotine and there was a a very genuine risk that josephine might have followed him if it hadn't been for the particularly well-timed fall of robespierre Mm, indeed and yeah she is in prison i believe it's for a, a couple months i'm not sure the exact length but after her freedom from her marriage and prison, Josephine is basically left alone to take care of these two kids. So she has affairs with several leading political figures, including Paul Barat. Do you think this was survival instinct or was she trying to find a husband to replace Alexander? What do you think her next step I think was? Absolutely survival instinct. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's it, it, it wasn't a period where genteel or middle class or upper class however we want to sort of typify them you didn't go and get a job you didn't go to university and get a degree right. you had to make the most with what you had and in most cases for women that was themselves right and you can understand why she's drawn to these powerful men who will at least protect her and protect her children mm-hmm. i think that was absolutely the instinct of a woman who needed to make sure her family was safe Agreed. And in 1795, 
she meets an up-and-coming general named Napoleon Bonaparte. Can you give us the details on how they met? Because I know there are several anecdotes or stories out there. Do you know the, the actual way they met? Well, it's, it is quite disputed, but I mean, what is undisputable is that Napoleon is 100% under her spell. Oh yeah, immediately. And he's, he is the, as we've, we've already said, he's the gawky, awkward, mm-hmm. socially inept young general, uh, young general, young army officer and an undoubtedly brilliant army officer, mm-hmm. but someone who's a fish out of water in the salons and the elegant social circles that Josephine by this point has made her name in. And Josephine is somebody who's undeniable sex appeal. She's elegant, she's sophisticated, she's worldly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll, her teeth are apparently quite bad, so she smiles with her mouth shut, but mm-hmm. she's got really beautiful hair. The way she carries herself is you know, very appealing. She's got a lovely voice. And Napoleon just goes absolutely head over heels and, you know, almost obsessively so. And I think it works very well for Barat, who kind of needs to divest himself of Josephine to match the two of them up. Right. He, he finds that's quite a, a useful way of, you know, not manipulating, but maybe to a degree getting Napoleon you know, where he needs him to be, having a, a very useful means of motivating Napoleon and it gets Josephine off off his arm and onto somebody else's. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about how quickly they fell in love. You know, a year later, although Josephine's six years older than Napoleon, you know, they fall in love and they're married uh, right before Napoleon leaves for Italy to take command of the French army station there. Do you have any details of the wedding day? I've heard a few things. Yeah, Napoleon was ages late um, <laughs> because he was busy with work and it, it kind of sums Napoleon up right. realistically that he was so focused on his campaign he was late for his own wedding mm-hmm. um, and Josephine was growing very distressed to the, the point that uh, it's, it's suggested that she was ready to call the wedding off when he eventually stormed in and they, they got married but it, it's interesting to note that there, that age difference, I think, is quite fundamental to the dynamic of their relationship in the early days. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is so frustrating to see in the new Ridley Scott film, mm-hmm. um, totally erased, where they've got this very young actress, undeniably talented, undeniably beautiful, right. playing Josephine to, you know, working Phoenix in his mid-40s. Right, right, right. So... They get married and Napoleon's off to Italy, but the marriage is not well received by Napoleon's family, particularly his sisters. Why do they despise Josephine so much? Is it jealousy for Napoleon's attention or did they think he could do better? It's, yeah, it's an interesting, the Bonaparte women were vile to Josephine, genuinely vile, and it could be a multitude of things. Mm. It could, yes, be jealousy for their brother's attention i think the family were very aware that napoleon was going to be the makers of their fortune mm-hmm. i think probably to a degree of of jealousy of josephine's personal you know attributes as well she again she was viewed as being extremely elegant mm-hmm. she dressed nicely she carried herself nicely she was very sophisticated right and it was maybe difficult for you know, these young women who'd come from Corsica, as you say, at the time, it wasn't the 
um you know the the wealthiest or the the best provided for of of you know french possession right it's not paris yeah yeah and they just hated her mm-hmm. they hated her from day one and you know they went out of their way to be unpleasant and unaccommodating and provocative to her in any which way they could yeah i've heard like little things like even on you know the coronation you know they were fussing about their role how they had to carry her train and you know it just seems like they any way they could nitpick at her and tell their brother you know he could do better they would Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, later on, further down the line, I mean, Caroline Bonaparte and, and Mura, they were essentially pimping mistresses out to Napoleon in the hope that he would get one of them pregnant mm-hmm. and thus prove Josephine unfertile and encourage Napoleon to get rid of her. Mm. Well, whatever the reason, Josephine handled it all with class. It seems she was a, a good influence on him, like you said, you know, coached him how to behave in high society functions. But unfortunately, Josephine is not initially faithful to her famous husband. Do you know of her early affairs with, with these other men? Yeah, she, she wasn't. And uh, it, again, it showed the disparity in the relationship. He was absolutely obsessed with her. And you can read that in his correspondence, you know, the, the sentences that he used. And we, it gets bandied about on Twitter all the time, but, you know, I wake full of thoughts of you, and he, he wrote essentially every day. Um, it was all about how much he desired her and the dreams that he'd had of her and the times that they'd spent together in bed. And he was very, very intense and very passionate in his correspondence. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I think you can you can pick up in, you know, looking at the disparity in the correspondence that... Napoleon married because he was so obsessively in love with her. Mm-hmm. Josephine married because it made sense for her. She needed to again protect her family. She needed to, and she knew she was she was getting older. Her attraction as a mistress probably was gonna die down. Fade, yeah. She needed security, and I think realistically that probably is what she married Napoleon for. And along comes a very charming. He played Charles. And that's something different altogether. <laughs> but of course, that affair, when Napoleon learns of it, it, it permanently shifts their dynamic again. Yeah, and I, I read that, you know, uh, his brother Joseph and his friend Junot knew of this Hippolyte Charles and knew of the affair, but kept it from him because they didn't want to upset, you know, Napoleon. But eventually he learns of her unfaithfulness while away uh, on the conquest of Egypt. And it seemed to really hurt him and increase his distrust of those around him. Did he want a, a divorce when he returned from France? And, and what changed his mind? Yeah, he was, I mean, he immediately retaliated because he took up with um, Pauline Forday. That's right. Um, and it's, if you read Kate Williams' biography of, of Josephine, she suggests that he couldn't resist Josephine when she cried. And that there was something about the sight of her crying and weeping and going on her knees and begging, etc., that either appealed to him, um, whether that be his his um, you know encouraged sympathy in him or whether it sexually pleased him or whatever. Right. But he seemed to be extremely receptive to Josephine when she got upset, mm-hmm. and so the bla- you know blazing rows were had and accusations slung back and forth, but Josephine cried and. 
won him back around. Yeah, and um, I think it's important to point out here that you know Hortense and, and Eugene also supported them getting back together. And I just I think these two individuals are fascinating because Napoleon treated them like his own children, correct? He did, and in every respect, they were as loyal and devoted and generally did right by him than any other family member that he had. If he had had, you know, a dozen Eugènes and Hortenses rather than Josephs and um, Jeromes and Carolines, he probably would have been a sight better off. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, Napoleon begins a series of affairs, um, especially in Egypt, but it seems he can't bring himself to leave Josephine and really wants her to produce an heir to the empire. And this is a hypothetical for you. Do you believe if she had produced a child that Napoleon would have stayed married to her? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I fundamentally do. Yeah. Well, in 1804, with much pomp and circumstance, Napoleon declares himself emperor, with Josephine becoming empress. And it seems that France and the Imperial Army were very fond of Josephine and considered her to be Napoleon's lucky star. Um, I, I know, like, there is a, uh, there's even... Um, some detachments called the Empress's Dragoons. The army really thought she was a lucky star for him, don't you think? Yeah, and Napoleon really bought into the idea of luck and destiny and, um, you know, all those kind of concepts that something was fated and it was meant to be. And I think he genuinely did believe that Josephine brought him luck, made him lucky, made him win. And, yeah, as you say, he... He did choose to stay married to her, and I think it's genuinely because although his pride was wounded, I don't think he ever at any point stopped loving her. Right. Right, I agree. But sadly, in 1809, uh, by then, Napoleon has fathered other children with his mistresses and now knows that his marriage to Josephine must be ended so he can be free to remarry and finally get his heir. Uh, this is just a tragic moment. How did, the, how did he break the divorce to her, and how did, how did, how did that go? I mean, it devastated Josephine, understandably. And again, it's it's one of those topics that gets bandied about a lot when we talk about Josephine, you know, her promiscuity, her infertility and her profligacy. And there's speculation as to why she should be infertile because she'd obviously born Eugène and she'd born her taunts. Was it the fact that the stuff she'd been doing for contraception while she was Barra's mistress and m mistresses elsewhere had permanently damaged her fertility? Possibly. Mm -hmm. um, but also, this was a woman who'd been imprisoned during the French Revolution at the height of the reign of terror. And I guess this topic hits hard for me because having been through infertility treatment myself mm. and been through the IVF cycle, the first thing consultants say to you is cut out any unnecessary stress from your life. Hmm. The woman was in prison at the height of the reign of terror. If that's not going to screw up somebody's system, I don't know what will. Right. Um, plus, she was she was in her, her late 30s by that point. So I, I think it's very easy for people to turn around and say, oh, well, she destroys her own fertility because she was sleeping around. Right. But I don't think that's necessarily automatically the case. But whichever way it was it became very clear that it was her fertility and not Napoleon's that was the issue. And they wound up, you know, the, the, the ceremony to provide the 
um, official ratification of the divorce. It was very dignified. It was very solemn. Um, but there's no doubt Josephine was absolutely devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. And her tears, unfortunately, didn't work on Napoleon at that point. But I think she knew also that his goal at that point in his life was to have an heir. So she probably realized that this had to happen no matter how many tears she had. Yeah, and I think the to Josephine's credit as well, she never wished ill on Napoleon. Mm-hmm. You know, when she was divorced, cast aside, however we want to phrase it, she was still motivated for what was best for him. So, you know, all her faults aside, the profligacy and the affairs, etc. aside, she genuinely was motivated for what was best for Napoleon at that time. And I think she genuinely did want to see him start a dynasty. And of course, he did very well by her. Right. She got Malmaison. She was incredibly well looked after she retained her title um you know napoleon off you know ensured that she was accorded every imaginable dignity that she could you know she she wasn't treated as a woman scorned right um she was treated very much as still a revered member of his family from his point of view right right yeah she does retire to malmaison and um you know i know she's a patroness of magnificent rose gardens but just so everyone knows i'm not praising Josephine endlessly, she did have one major fault, which was her spending. Do you want to touch on that briefly? I know, you know, she always wanted to have the nicest gowns and jewelry and have throw balls. Do you think that was one of her weaknesses, was just her uh, endless spending? Yeah, she was unbelievably profligate. <laughs> and she spent huge, huge sums of money. I mean, as you say, she spent endlessly. She she dressed incredibly well. Mm-hmm. She had enormous amounts of jewellery that her apart various, you know, residences were furnished in the best possible style. And she was, you know, phenomenally careless with money. And it was one of the main arguments, you know, recurring arguments she and Napoleon had because he was the one who obviously had to continuously pay off her debts. Mm. And she actually said that, the only, you know, later in life, the only thing that came between us were my debts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was really, really a careless spender. And for Napoleon, somebody who was frugal, very self-disciplined yeah. in a lot of ways yeah. in terms of his work ethic and what he wanted to do and what he wanted to achieve, it was a huge source of frustration. Yeah. Um, but on the plus side, you know, you know, Napoleon obviously has a, a son with his new wife. And I, I think Josephine handled all that with class. Like, it seems she was generally happy for him and his new, new bride. Yeah, she made no, no ripples in the water. She behaved with, you know, a huge amount of, of dignity. And it, it's interesting because we, we talk a lot about the, the great and inverted commas men of the era. And when you look at pattern of so many of them, they treated their wives appallingly. Mm. And I think even as a divorcee, Napole- Napoleon did better by Josephine than the likes of Wellington or Nelson did by their wives. Mm-hmm. Or Messina or, you know, people like that. Yeah, there's a number of examples for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, moving along in the empire here, uh, Napoleon abdicates in April 1814. And tragically, Josephine passes away shortly after while walking with Tsar Alexander uh, at Mount Maison. Um, can you tell us what happens there? Yeah, she's she genuinely was interceding for Napoleon 
almost you know appealing for mercy on his behalf mm-hmm. and again i think that sort of demonstrates her genuine care for him and her her love for him even if they weren't always faithful to each other or they weren't always necessarily compatible in their attitudes to things Mm -hmm. there's no doubting that they both loved each other in their own way very very much in the end and she allegedly requested to join him in his exile which was more than a, a great number of his allegedly more ardent followers had done and and certainly not what Marie Louise did in the end right although you can argue that she was manipulated out of it yeah and um yeah was it a heart attack or a stroke she just passed it was very sudden it was very very sudden um and Napoleon was just absolutely knocked for six he apparently had you know locked himself in a way in a room for for two days and you know, barely said a word. He was genuinely rocked to the core by her loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just tragic. Um, well, let's talk about her legacy. I, I find it incredibly ironic that several of her descendants obtained thrones while Napoleon's direct descendant did not. What do you think, Josephine through Hortense and um, Eugene, what do you think her, her legacy and as a person her legacy is? Yeah, I mean, you've hit the nail absolutely on the head. I think it's properly ironic that the woman who was cast aside for infertility should have so many of her descendants still in the ruling families of Europe today mm-hmm. when Napoleon, with his obsession for a dynasty, would find that cut short very tragically within one generation. You know, Napoleon II died at the age of 21. Yeah, and although the Bonaparte name's still extant, it's through Jerome's descendants, um, not through Napoleon's. Whereas the royal families of Norway and Sweden and Belgium, um, and and countless others have descendants of Josephine. Yeah, and even uh, Hortense's son, uh, the future Lu- uh, Napoleon the Third, ruled yeah. France longer than Napoleon did. Yeah, and I think more than just her descendants, I think her. You can see her legacy in the art, the architecture mm-hmm. of the period. You know, she presided over this massive time of cultural and artistic change that, you know, the empire style, the empire line, you know, the, the style of dress. Um, she was a really devoted patron of the arts mm-hmm. with, with probably a much more genuine passion for them than Napoleon had. He could use art very well to tell a story and for you know, purposes of building his image and his brand. But Josephine, un- you know, understood it at a fundamentally different level. And, you know, the artistic movement that she presided over, I think, was hugely significant. Her rose garden, etc., cetera, at Malmaison. She had a much more lasting legacy than just her marriage. And I think it's sometimes important that people don't forget that. Yeah, and it's also a bit ironic that after Napoleon insisted upon this divorce, 1809, his empire starts to go in decline pretty quick after that. Well, you never know. What, I mean, if, if how superstitious are you? But maybe she was his lucky star. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, per- personally, I feel it's because he started to believe he was invincible. Yeah. He bought into his own legend. Right. But I think it's it's a very interesting point that Napoleon's son growing up as a sort of 
um, not pr- prisoner because he obviously wasn't. He was he was housed very well and um, had every comfort and rank imaginable. But growing up in you know culturally Austrian, right. had said that it was a great pity that Josephine had not been his mother. Hmm. He says, if Josephine had been my mother, my father would not be on St. Helena um, because, and he wouldn't be in, in Austria because Marie Louise, he said, was kind but weak. Right. He was not, she was not the wife that Napoleon deserved, mm-hmm. implying that Josephine was. She had the spirit and the courage that he would have liked to see in his own mother. Yeah, and like you were talking earlier, she went through some truly, truly hard times, as did uh, Hortense and uh, Eugene, uh, and I think it honed them into the people they became. Yeah, absolutely, and there was a tight, you know, tight-knit sense of family between the three of them. They were devoted to Josephine and the, she to them, mm-hmm. and there was that sense of loyalty that you don't see in, to the same degree in the Bonapartes, who, you know, yes, there are ties of love and and respect to a degree to Napoleon but the vast majority of them are out for what they can get and when Napoleon's star starts to crumble in some cases the loyalty goes with it yeah yeah agreed yeah Josephine just strikes me as someone who doesn't get enough credit for Napoleon's accomplishments and she was also like you said a woman in her own right whether it was the Rose Gardens or um, you know, enhancing artistic or cultural creations in France. She she did a lot with her role that I don't think she gets cre- enough credit for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. She's just a really, really interesting woman. I mean, there's, there's again, I say this as a total hypocrite because I spend <laughs> all my time rabbiting about the marshals, but <laughs> there's so many interesting women in the period whose stories don't always get the light shone in them that they deserve. Agreed. 